0: Uh, Let's pray as we get ready to open up the Bible together. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to embrace and uh, the courage to apply uh, your truth. Um, Help us hear it. Help us love it. Uh, We know that that's a work of your spirit. Only your spirit can cause us uh, to delight in your truth. Uh, We pray you would do that for us. By your mercy, in Jesus' name, amen. So in your worship folders, you should find a sheet that has our passage for today. We're taking a second look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be looking at the last part of the chapter this this time. Chapter 7 of this letter from the Apostle Paul has some very significant things to say about the topic of marriage in particular. As we saw last time, and if you you weren't here or you missed that, you can always go to our website phillida.org and catch any of the messages there. But last time we saw that there was some serious confusion about marriage within the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to clear up. Um, apparently there were some pretty influential people in the church of Corinth who were telling everybody that it is more spiritual to be single than to be married. And uh, our best guess is that they took something that Jesus had said about the ultimate future He promised he would return one day and he would make heaven and earth new and his people, our our bodies would be raised in newness of life and and glorified. And at that time, at that ultimate future point, marriage would become um, a thing of the past because it currently points to something greater. And when that greater comes, the marriage marriage will be no more. Well, apparently some figured these super spiritual types said, well, if that's our destiny, let's just go ahead and live that way now. Let's do that now. And that way, we'll all be at a higher spiritual level. We'll get a higher spiritual ranking with God if we, you know, if we do that. We'll be number one seeds instead of ten seeds if you're into things like basketball tournaments. Um As you can imagine, this was creating some serious stress among the people of the church, depending on their marital status. People who were married were feeling pressure to separate or at the very least to abstain from sexual relations. Widows and widowers were feeling pressure not to remarry, regardless of their desires. Christians who were married to non-Christians were feeling pressure to divorce because they didn't want to be held back spiritually, you know, hindered in their relationship with God because of the influence of this unbelieving spouse. And single people were feeling pressure to remain single because marriage was only for unenlightened losers. Something like that. Well, one of the things that becomes clear as you read through this letter is that Paul really loves these people. He really does. He loves them and he he cares about these people who are now worried and stressed out by this false understanding of marriage. So he's out to correct that. It is simply not true that either being single, or being married, puts you at a higher spiritual level. And the basic principle is your marital status does not determine or control your spiritual status. So whether you're married or single or whatever, that that fact doesn't somehow either disqualify you from from living life fully the way God wants you to live it. No matter what your marital status is, you can know Jesus, you can trust him, you can obey him fully. He has a path for you to walk, whatever your status is. And then, so that's the basic lesson, and then Paul applies it to different people in different ways marital situations. And we looked at a few of these last time and today we'll look at one more, but first I want to give a quick clarification. When I say that your marital status does not determine your spiritual status, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that marriage has no spiritual significance. I'm not saying it has no spiritual implications. Everything we do has spiritual significance everything. Uh, Don't make the mistake that's easy to make in our world of thinking that your spiritual life is kind of in its own little compartment, and that's one thing, and then real life is something else. You know, your job, your family, your friends, your recreation. It's easy to do that in our world, to compartmentalize and say, well, you know, spiritual life, that's what you do on you know sunday morning or whenever you're with other christians but then the rest of the rest of the week it's it's something else that's not true all of life connects to god all of it and he wants all of us to intentionally connect every part of our life to him so married people have certain responsibilities and the question is how do you fulfill those responsibilities Are you going to handle those responsibilities by faith, by faith in Christ, by depending on him, being filled with his spirit, relying on his teaching, his instructions, or will you just do whatever comes naturally, whatever, you know, seems to make sense? Well, that's a spiritual issue. That's a spiritual issue. And the same is true for singles. You've got certain responsibilities. How are you going to fulfill those responsibilities? You're going to fulfill them by faith in Christ or some other way. That's a spiritual issue. So it's not it's not as if being married or being single has no spiritual significance. It certainly does. But the point is being single or being married neither of those statuses give you like extra credit with God. it's, It's not that God likes single people more than he likes married people. Just like he doesn't like rich people more than poor people, or people with dark skin more than people with white skin, or people from certain nations more than people from other nations, or any other status that we human beings get all preoccupied with. Now, the Bible says this. God shows no partiality, no favoritism. Nobody's got an edge. So it doesn't, whatever your marital status, whatever your social status, whatever your economic status, you know how God sees you? He sees you as a person created in His image. And He wants you to know Him. And He wants you to trust Him. And He wants you to be freed from your sin, washed white as snow, through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God sees when He looks at you. So that's the main principle and this time, we're going to see how that reality applies to single people in verses 25 through 40. Paul is speaking especially here to single people who were betrothed. It's not a word we use a lot. Betrothal, kind of like engagement, but more so. More so. More commitment, more responsibility. And so here you've got people who had made this pledge to get married. And now they're wondering if they ought to go through with it because of this notion going around the church that it would be more spiritual to stay single. And so Paul's going to counteract that notion as he applies this truth to them. And he's going to make it clear again That choosing marriage or choosing singleness is not, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's really important that we see this. He he makes it clear. It's not, it's not a matter of what's morally right or what's morally wrong or what's spiritually good versus what's spiritually bad. Instead, he's going to show us it's a matter of wisdom, wisdom weighing the pros and cons in living your life for Jesus. So take a look, start at verse 25. He says, Now about virgins, people who have never been married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment, or you could translate this, an opinion, a considered opinion, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So notice, what he's about to teach is not a command. It is instead wise counsel from a trustworthy counselor. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. And that word concern means anxiety, worry. These people are kind of stressed out. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good or for your advantage, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's goal is to help them make a wise decision about marriage that will help them follow Jesus without being anxious, worried, distracted, and so on. But notice, he doesn't make the decision for them. That's really key. As if there's a right or wrong answer. And that's, that's a big deal, because as we've seen in this letter up to this point, if you've been with us as we've been traveling through here, <clears throat> when something is a matter of right or wrong, Paul has no problem saying so. I mean, he's all over that when he needs to be. But he doesn't say that here. And I would, I would like for that fact to be very liberating to all of us. See, when you're facing a big decision, if, if you think there's a morally right and morally wrong answer to that decision, and, and definitely sometimes there is, but if you think there's a, a right answer and a wrong answer, but you don't know which is which, that's very stressful if you wanna follow Jesus because you don't wanna get it wrong. But if you know it's not a matter of right or wrong, but of choosing between two options that are both morally good, they just have different pros and cons, that takes a lot of pressure off. I remember talking to uh, one of my professors at Western Seminary, and going in and talking to him, and, because I didn't know what to do with my life. I mean, been through seminary, it's like, okay, what do I do? Do I go into pastoral ministry? Do I go go into missions? Do I go on to teach in a college environment or something? And I was pretty stressed out about it. And I went and talked to him. (laughs) And he looked at me. I think he was in his 70s at the time. Wise, wise old guy. And he said, what do you want to do? What? No, I'm talking about discerning God's will. He said, what do you want to do? well, I think I want to do this. I said, well, then do it. I said, oh, I'm confused. He said, look, I know you well enough to know that you are seeking to obey God's will in every area where he's told us what his will is, that which is right or wrong. If you're doing that, this issue's not a moral right or wrong answer. So do what you want. Wow, I can't even tell you how liberating that was to walk out. Wow, I can do what I want? That's crazy. That's what Paul's doing here. He wants to relieve the anxiety that these people were feeling. Because some people were making a huge moral issue out of something that's actually a matter of wisdom and personal preference. Now, it's important we distinguish the difference because there are issues that are right or wrong. And we've seen that. Paul has said so. But that's not what he says here he doesn't lay down the law and what he says essentially is this to these single people considering marriage he says this if you're considering marriage choose wisely choose wisely not because there's something wrong with marriage or something wrong with singleness but because marriage will significantly affect your life. All the married people in the room, nod your head. Yes, it will. So you need to decide carefully, wisely, and that's why we need to look at this because that is not what our culture encourages. Wise, careful thinking. No, no, we live in a romance-saturated culture. If you have to think about it, it's just you're completely out of touch." Well, that's not what scripture teaches. You need to think wisely, you need to think carefully. Your culture won't encourage you to do that, but that's what you should do. Think wisely, think carefully. Now, if you're already married, don't be thinking, boy, did I come to church on the wrong day. Don't tune this out. Do not tune this out. You know why? Because God may well want to use you to be a source of wise counsel to someone you know, someone you care about, who needs to think wisely and carefully, and you could be a source of wisdom to them. So let's think about this. Based on these verses, I'm gonna give you five questions that a person considering marriage should ask and think carefully about. Number one, should I take on the responsibilities of marriage in my situation? In my situation, my circumstance, given what's going on in my life, should I take on the responsibilities of marriage? Verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment or opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman that is betrothed? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I would spare you this. (laughs) So Paul is writing to unmarried people who have entered into a betrothal commitment. And just by the way, the reason he talks mainly to the male half of the couple is because in that betrothal custom, most of the initiative rested on him. Paul's giving advice, and his wise advice is that it would be good in light of the present crisis not to take on the additional responsibilities of marriage. Okay, what was the present crisis? We don't know. We don't know. It was something that made life extra difficult for the Corinthians. Something that was going on there. Well, how do we apply that to our lives? We do this. If you're considering marriage, one of the things you need to think about is your life situation. And whether waiting for marriage or saying no to marriage altogether would be a wiser decision given your situation. What would that be? Well, it could be lots of things. School, career, military service, maybe a medical condition, maybe a, a family situation. Something that would make it unusually difficult for you to fulfill the responsibilities of being a good husband or a good wife. Marriage is wonderful. But it includes some big responsibilities that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to to fulfill those responsibilities. So think about your situation. Two, am I deciding with an eternal perspective? Am I deciding about marriage with an eternal perspective? Verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short, or the time has been brought up short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. Now, many people read this and conclude that what Paul's talking about is he believed Jesus was going to return within his own lifetime, so he's basically saying, don't bother getting married. The problem is that conclusion does not fit with what Paul teaches elsewhere. For example, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, he's uh, confronting people who were saying, hey, why bother going to work? Because Jesus is coming back any day now. So who needs a job? Well, what's the point? (laughs) And Paul's response is, get back to work, you deadbeats. Maybe not in those words exactly, but that is his point. Go to work. Stop living off the charity of other people. Nobody knows when Jesus will return. Jesus made that very clear. In fact, some of his parables make it clear that there could be a long time before he returns. In the book of Second Peter, we're told that in the last days, scoffers will come. With their scoffing, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Everything's just going on like usual. He's not coming back. Nobody knows when Jesus will return. And in the meantime, life goes on. Well, that applies to marriage as well. Also, if Paul is saying here, don't get married, he's also saying, don't mourn, don't weep, don't be happy And don't buy things. But that's not what he means. He fully expects people to keep doing those things. His point is this. Let those who do be as those who don't. Well, what does that mean? It means that because Messiah has come, because he has come and he has died and he has risen from the dead, because he has sent us out with his mission to accomplish, we are in the final chapter of the book. We know how the story ends. And because we know how the story ends, we're not to live in the same old way. Yes, life goes on, but it must go on with a difference. We cannot live as if getting married, having children, buying a home, having a career, as if that's what life is all about. Jesus told us, seek first the kingdom of God. Notice that word first. He doesn't say seek the kingdom of God. He says seek it first. That's the priority. He told us to take his good news to all the peoples of the earth, of all nations. Because the end is in sight. There's an urgency about this. There's an urgency that we should feel. He is coming again. It could happen at any time. So we need to live today in light of eternity. We need to live today in light of that day. So, All the different parts of life, like marriage, family, job, those things are good, but they're not what life is all about. And it's really easy to live as if that's what life is all about. To live as if eternity is kind of an unimportant afterthought, the fact that Jesus is coming. And we make all of our decisions in light of, you know, right now, and, and, and we don't really give this a thought, that, that's backwards. We're to do exactly the opposite. We're to have that in view and say that's gonna happen, so how do I live in light of that every day? It's supposed to put everything else in perspective, that's his point. Question three, will marriage hinder or help my devotion to Jesus? Will it hinder or help my devotion to Jesus? Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern, anxiety, worry. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. But I am saying this for your own good, for your advantage, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way and undivided devotion to the Lord. So being a husband, being a wife, that gives you additional responsibilities. That's why Paul personally preferred being single and why he thinks that would be a better choice for many of his readers in light of their present situation, that crisis. Well, the question for us then is, would the additional responsibilities of marriage, would, it, would those make you less able or even more able to be fully devoted to Jesus and pursue his priorities? You know who's the only one who can answer that question? You, you. That's between you and Jesus. How will you best live a life of full devotion to him? You'll notice Paul refuses to make this a right or wrong decision. Verse 35, this is interesting. He says, I'm saying this for your advantage, not to restrict you. Literally, that means tie a snare around you. In other words, he's not trying to hog tie him and drag him at the end of a rope in a direction they don't want to go. That's what the super spiritual types in Corinth were doing. Trying to force everybody to go in the direction they thought was best. But not Paul. Paul wants everybody to live for Jesus without anxiety, worry, or distraction. For some, that's going to mean staying single, for others, it might mean getting married. Each person has to decide what is best for their relationship with Christ. Number four, am I being pressured by others? Am I being pressured by others? Verse 36, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she is of full age, and he feels they ought to marry... He should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin. This man also does well. So then he who marries the virgin does well and he who does not marry will do better. So just kind of put yourself in the place of these people, these betrothed couples. And here's this idea floating around, (laughs) being pushed strongly that, you know, marriage was a second rate spiritual existence. Imagine they're, they're, they're just feeling all this pressure. So you got the people from the church pressuring you not to get married. Well, I bet there's some parents, family who are pressuring them to get married who weren't part of the church. It's like, especially the guy, come on, dude, you made a, you made a commitment. Let's go. So they're, they're feeling pressure from all sides. What's a, what's a good Christian boy or girl supposed to do in a situation like this? You know what Paul's answer is? Forget about it, the pressure. Forget about the pressure. He makes it very clear that either going ahead with marriage or calling it off were both acceptable options so they should make up their own minds. <laughs> Listen, if you're not married, you do not wanna let other people pressure you into that decision. Yes, by all means, listen. Listen to wise counsel from people who love Jesus and who love you and take their counsel seriously. Paul isn't saying ignore everybody. In fact, he himself is giving advice about what he thinks would be best in their situation. What he thinks would be best is singleness in their situation. Better, not morally better, practically better. There's a big difference. But the decision to marry or not is something you've got to choose from your heart and mind. Why? Because marriage is no place for a superficial, half-hearted commitment. It's got to be something you want to do. And that means for the rest of us who are friends or siblings, or parents of someone considering marriage, we need to be so careful not to put pressure on people. So you know what? Stop the snarky comments and jokes about single people as if there's something wrong with them. Let me stress it once again in case we've missed it. There is nothing wrong with singleness, and there is nothing wrong with marriage. Paul prefers the practical advantages of singleness in their situation, but as he said back in verse 7, go back there, he said, each one has his own gift from God. So let everybody do what is best for their life, their relationship with Christ, without putting pressure on them to make a decision that's a matter of wisdom and personal preference. Last question, will I follow God's standards for marriage? Will I follow God's standards for marriage? Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives and vice versa, by the way, that was made clear earlier in the chapter. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. That's probably a little sarcasm toward the Corinthians. So, notice this. After giving us all this wise counsel, wise counsel, wise decision, personal preference, here at the end, he now reminds us that, you know, there still are some rights and wrongs related to marriage. There are some moral boundaries. And there's two in particular that he emphasizes here. Number one, a believer in Jesus should only marry another believer in Jesus. And number two, (coughs) believers need to marry for life. Those are two things that are not a matter of wisdom and preference. They're moral boundaries that Jesus expects his people to uphold. So, after hearing these five questions, some of you may be thinking, wow, did I blow it? Well, maybe you did. But that's when we need to remember the overall lesson of the chapter that God wants you to know him and trust him and obey him now, whatever your past decisions have been, whatever your current status is. Because we've all, we have all failed at least some of his standards at different points in our life. We've all made decisions that we shouldn't make. And that's why that's why he saves us by grace. It's a gift we receive. He makes us right with him as a gift that we receive. It is not a reward for doing something, earning something. Romans 6:23. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, it's a good one to highlight. For the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn. And what we've all earned is death. Separation from God. But the free gift, free gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've earned a wage. God offers a gift. Gifts are received. They're not earned. They're just taken. Where is this gift? It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Receive him. That's how you unwrap that gift. Now, the fact that he saves by grace, that's not an excuse for ignoring his standards. That's not an excuse for, you know, willfully choosing to disobey him. And we need to just remember those guardrails, those standards are for our good. They're for our good. So what should we do? I say we resolve to help each other. To help each other, whether we're single or whether we're married, whether we're just starting out or coming into the home stretch, help each other live our lives in complete devotion to Jesus from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health, as long as we all shall live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how much you love us. It just blows my mind. Um, Apart from your love, we would be utterly and completely lost. And Lord, when we don't listen to you, we make decisions that are just not good for us, for others. So help us listen. Lord, may those of us who are married be an encouragement to other people who are married to follow you and to those who are single to follow you. Help us not be putting pressure on each other. Help us really help each other to live with wisdom in the power of your spirit relying on you. In Jesus' name, amen.